Episode 2, I've Been FCC'd. Welcome to Radio War Stories. In every episode, hosts Dave Jagger and Don Nelson reach into their arsenal of decades of radio experience to entertain you with their most amusing, enthralling, and interesting stories. Suit up and get ready for today's episode. Welcome back to RadioWarStories.com. My voice is a little creaky today, Don. I don't have the basso profundo that you do. I was looking forward to your creaky voice. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we can set up an email for you, Don, if you'd like that. I'd like that. Don yes. at RadioWarStories.com is now in existence. Awesome. It's that's, just that quick. And that's Don with a D. Don with a D. D-O-N, not D-A-W-N <laughs> or anything else. Or D-A-U-N. Uh, and Dave at RadioWarStories.com as well. So uh, email us if you have any questions. If you hate us, if you love us, that's fantastic. We'd love to hear from you regardless. Tell me about your college days. You you started in college radio, and uh, college radio has always been a huge source of talent for a lot of local stations. Mm -hmm. Uh, Did you you do four years, two years, 20 minutes? Uh, Since all I ever wanted to do with my life was to be on the air, I did two years of college radio. And then within those two years, I did start working commercial radio. Uh, wasn't that fascinating a story. I was absolutely horrible. I have old air checks. The very first thing I ever did on the air was reading a news story from one of the other studios for the guy that was on the air and uh, did a newscast. Just atrocious. Atrocious. I thought I was great, but I wasn't. I was nowhere near. And then I did that for a couple of years while I was still at KEEZ, that MOR station. My buddy and I... I only had a motorcycle. I didn't have a car. I just had a motorcycle. Good on sunny days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the $35 1948 Buick straight eight that I had finally gave up the ghost. My buddy and I said, hey, let's go find a job at a top 40 radio station. So we hopped on my motorcycle, and we always wanted to go down to. This is starting to sound like Easy Rider. Almost <laughs> something like that. We went down to Corpus Christi on the bike, my mighty Honda 350. Went to a couple of radio stations down there. We had kind of communicated with some of the PDs and things down there, but nobody had any openings. And then on the way back, we thought, well, let's go up through Victoria. It was a community of about 60,000, 80,000 people. Uh, had a few radio stations, AM and FM. We were on the highway just about to head back to San Antonio, and we drove by KVIC. Didn't know what kind of station it was, so we pulled in, walked in the front door, and they were playing Top 40 music. So we asked to see the PD, and Phil, my buddy, got the job before I did. <laughs> Somebody. <laughs> he could only hire one person. And so he hired Phil. He wanted to hire both of us, but he only hired Phil. And I got a job at this horrible FM station in the same town, KTXN, like Texan. Texan. Yeah, KTXN, and another M.O.R. radio station. Yeah. He was playing Top 40 music, having all the fun. I'm playing Peggy Lee. You know, is that all there is? Right. Fever. <laughs> exactly. Or not a good station. But it paid barely and paid enough to get the rent for our little apartment that we were sharing. It was amazing to me that I ended up going over to KVIC when one of the guys finally quit. Phil moved into Afternoon Drive and they hired me to do evenings. And that's kind of the way it began. And I was in Victoria for... 13 years. 
and a uh, long time really in a small market like that, but uh, went through one marriage and divorce <laughs> and got through that. And uh, after that, moved back to San Antonio, worked at uh, a really good AC station that was uh, programmed uh, and uh, consulted by a big guy, you knew George Johns, you know the name, right? Sure, right. So, George and I uh, competed in Indianapolis. So he was with Jimmy Hilliard at WIBC. Right. Yeah, Hilliard right. was a big name too. Uh, Hilliard and George Johns and, of course, uh, people here in Dallas, they all take the responsibility of making KVIL the most successful AC radio station in the country. Right. But I don't know who, I think that was all... Uh, uh, it was part of that, that mafia that we're yeah, talking about here. Exactly. The same guys. Same basically. bunch of guys. Yeah. Hilliard, jo- George Johns, all those guys. <laughs> so I never, and I always wanted to work in Dallas. I never got a chance to work in the market. But uh, back to San Antonio and then uh, a couple of years at uh, KLLS, Class FM, KLLS. And uh, got that job. And that was just beside myself with excitement. I was so happy to be back in my hometown and uh, being on the air. And be a star. Well, I don't know about the star part. But you were on the air. You were a star. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, and had a great time. Uh, we'd had two kids by that time, two little bitty ones. And then that's when we got the call to move to Michigan. But the college thing really was that journey down to Corpus Christi and then back mm-hmm. through Victoria that got me going. The parallels uh, are, are really interesting that we're starting to pull out. And these are things that you and I really haven't talked about. Yeah. I find it interesting. But... Uh, uh, you went through two years of college and then bailed because you wanted to be the radio That's guy. Right. I went through almost 12 years of schooling before I dropped out a month before my high school graduation because I knew I was going to be a radio guy. Really? I had zero interest in college, never set foot in college, uh, and just did radio from that point on. So, uh, wow, that, that I, something I never knew about you. And what a successful career you had. What a success you were by the time you ended up in radio in New York City. I mean, you'd had quite the journey. Uh, the other parallel that, that uh, I smiled at as you were talking about it, uh, after I was uh, unceremoniously, as you said, kicked to the curb in Moberly, Missouri. Mm. Yes. Uh, I had had a letter from a radio station in the Quad Cities, Davenport, Rock Island, Moline. Somebody drove through Moberly, heard me, and said, if you're ever interested, come up. Well, here I am out of work. That's the only thing I know. So I loaded everything I owned into my 1955 Pontiac (laughs) and headed out to the Quad Cities. And I went to the radio station that had sent me the letter that was WHBF, and they said, sorry, the job is filled, we don't have one. And then I went over to WOC, uh, which uh, was the radio station founded by B.J. Palmer, who invented chiropractic. WOC, really? WOC call letters are Wonders of Chiropractic. Okay, and another, Man. they had a guy who started there kind of early on uh, by the name of Dutch Reagan. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, ah, uh, that would be uh, Ronald Reagan. That would be the guy. Yeah. But didn't get a job there, and so I'm not doing well, and I'm also low on gas, and I was trying to find WQUA and Moline, and I couldn't find the radio station. But there was a shell station. I stopped to get gas and asked the guy where it is. And he says, it's right there across the street. (laughs) And, oh, okay, I see it now. So I went in, and uh, it is September. It is incredibly hot. 
There was no air conditioning in the radio station. Uh, the owner, general manager, was kind enough to see me, G. Laverne Flambeau, the guy who literally changed my life, uh, and the guy who was my mentor, uh, who, who stayed with me uh, through the, my entire career until he passed. But uh, he, he was very forward, and uh, he said, so uh, why did they fire you in Moberly? And I said, well, because I wasn't showing up on time. And he said, was there anything else? And I said, well, they didn't say anything. They just said they kind of liked people that showed up, you know. <laughs> so at this point, right in front of me, I learned my first big lesson. He picks up the phone. He calls the owner in Moberly. And he uh -huh. says, I have Don Nelson in front of me here. Why did you fire him? He says, uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's all? Nothing else? Okay, thanks. Well, Don, you told the truth, and I can put you to work. <laughs> Starting this week. Wow. For 75 bucks a week. And your shift is going to be 2 to 4, 6.15 to 8, and 10.30 to 1 a.m. Oh, a triple split oh, my shift. Gosh. He knew how to get his Ooh, money's worth boy, out of somebody. <laughs> wow. But this is the guy that, that uh, brought me along career-wise uh, until uh, he was actually running Mid-America at the time uh, I was station manager at WQUA. This took wow. uh, a number of years and then went to Indianapolis mm -hmm. from there. But Vern Flambeau was an amazing guy that, that people will be telling stories about uh, for a very long time. He was no Abe Plow. Uh, he was not. Because you didn't <laughs> plug St. Joseph Aspen. <laughs> okay, good deal. You've talked about him a lot, and I think all of us that have been in radio have somebody like that that we kind of yeah. look at as as a mentor or somebody that really gave us that first opportunity to hone our skills uh victoria was kind of that way for me yeah. when i first because not in san antonio unfortunately i didn't have much direction there but uh, by the time I got to Victoria, and it's probably a good thing that I did to learn and, and to hone those skills. Well, Vern was a showman, and and uh, since uh, he, from my age standpoint, he decided obviously I'm going to be the teenage jock, you know. Mm -hmm. So he came up with the idea of the Crocodile Club. Ah. And uh, this was a membership thing, and we had dances, record hops, and what have you. Uh, one of the listeners uh, at that time uh, who... I had occasion to run into numer at numerous uh, dances that we provided, was a high school basketball star from Rock Island, Illinois, whose name was Don Nelson. <laughs> and this Don Nelson turned out to be one hell of a basketball player <laughs> and coach. Mm -hmm. And fast forwarding until all these years when I moved to Dallas, I was astounded when I would make a restaurant reservation how easy it was to get in. Oh, really? And then they would look at me and they would say, that's ah, not him. Not him. <laughs> Crocodile. Now, as a sales guy, it's too bad Crocs weren't around back then. Yeah. Can you imagine the, the, the advertising tie-in on that one? That, that would have been marvelous. It would have been really, perfect for yeah, you. Yeah, it really would. It perfect. But uh, we, we ran those record hops. And the other thing that, that uh, Vern Flambeau did, being the showman he was, says to me, now, Anytime you find a new artist that has got a record that you think is going to be really big, let me know because I'll go book him while he's cheap. <laughs> All right? <laughs> and so we literally did that. We brought in uh, Pat Boone. We brought in the Everly Brothers. Wow. Uh, we brought in the Diamonds, and the Diamonds hit just as Little Darlin' was number one. 
So this was kind of a fun thing. We wow. did our record hops, and, and he made money with, with uh, sure. the admission on these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Man, that's, that's, see, that's good promotion. And that's the kind of guy you want to work for. That's the kind of guy you want to work with. I always hated saying I work for somebody. I always like to say I work with somebody. Don still has some of his crocodile paraphernalia, don't you? The news clippings and the the membership cards. The membership card and the buttons. And the buttons. Oh, yeah, we had buttons. Uh, Right, some membership buttons, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So the only reason you got fired in Moberly was because you you didn't care that you didn't show up for work? I mean... Well, it was just, you know, you're 17 years old. It's just not really a big deal. They said be there at 3. Well, you know, it's not a lot of difference between 3 and (laughs) 5. Well, what were you doing in the meantime? Anything else? Yeah, I was 17, don't ask. Uh, people don't know this, uh, and this is another little background thing about me. Not only were my wife and I on the air together for all those years, but both of our daughters were either right in radio or in a peripheral industry. And still are. And still are. Right. Well, except for the older daughter. Right. Casey, our oldest daughter, was our producer when she graduated from college in right. Western Michigan University for four years. Uh, when... Our radio careers ended. Thank you, Cumulus. She went on to be executive producer for Mike Huckabee's syndicated show and did some syndicated uh, night shows in Austin, Cincinnati, uh, Boise, Idaho, back to Austin. So she bounced around quite a bit and had quite the career. My youngest daughter, Kristen, who now works for Spotify and their podcast arm, was employed by a company called... Wise Brother, and they did a morning prep show sheet called The Complete Sheet. How do you spell that? The Complete Sheet. (laughs) S-H-E-E-T. I thought you were talking, you know, Texas there for a minute. No, The Complete Sheet was really a lifesaver for so many because it was like a newspaper for radio guys, Don. It it had everything in there. Everything you needed. It had jokes. It had phone starters, all these things that we would do on the air. So she was a writer for them and ended up now working for Spotify out in Los Angeles uh, for their podcast arm. So my entire family has been a part of the industry somehow for all those years. Awesome. Yeah. And, and, you know, at, at WQUA in Moline, uh, that's where I uh, ended up going off air into sales. But I had a great time when I was on air. And there are a couple of, of incredible war stories from there. We had a news booth uh, that you could walk from the control room into the news booth, and then another door on the other side, you could walk out and into the actual news room. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a 15-minute newscast in the morning, 7.30 a.m., sponsored by the First National Bank of Moline. Of course. Uh, which was the bank that uh, had the financing on, on the radio station. <laughs> and uh, one, and we, the guy who did the newscast, his name was Bill Mason, uh, was very easy to break up. So I put Bill on the air one day, and the minute he started his 15-minute newscast, I disrobed completely, <laughs> walked through the door in front of him, stark naked, went out on the other side, put my clothes back on, 
went downstairs, went to the donut shop next door, and was having a cup of coffee when Vern Flambeau pulled up furious because somebody is breaking up the news guy, and whoever it is, he's going to have their da-da-da. And I'm just innocently sitting there having a cup, having of, a cup coffee. of coffee. And a the, donut. the good news was Bill Mason never gave me up. Well, that's, that's yeah. a good buddy then. Yeah. <laughs> Vern said, what happened? And he said, you know, I don't know. I just lost it. <laughs> the old stories of lighting the news guys, uh, you know, copy on fire while he's reading the newscast. Sure, We've heard yeah. all of those stories. Yeah. One of the best ones I heard was from a guy in, uh, in Victoria, and he said there was a big, great big guy that did news on the radio station way many years before I got there. Obviously a large man and those little bitty small chairs that never were worth a darn in the radio station anyway. And he's reading the newscast, and he had a tendency, he said, to lean back in his chair while he read the news, <laughs> way back in his chair. And so that old rickety chair finally gave out on him one day, and he said on the air it was the funniest thing he ever heard because the guy just falls, the chair falls over, and you hear all this, <clears throat> and he's trying to lift the chair up and making all the noise, and finally gets up. <clears throat> messes with the microphone and sits down, grabs his copy, and he just goes, I fell. <laughs> then he went back into the news. <laughs> uh, you know, we everybody uh, in those days had to take remote transmitter readings, oh, sure. you had, and you yeah. took them every half hour. And I'm, I'm uh, using quotes when I say you took them every half hour. <laughs> yeah, well, the one time in my entire life that I actually had an FCC inspector came in, I was on air, and he said, I'd like you to uh, take the transmitter readings for me. And I had been faking them for about three years. <laughs> I, I had never taken one. They just kind of changed them a little bit from the previous. From the previous right, yeah. On the Everybody did uh, that. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So I'm standing there, and this FCC guy is watching me, and I have no idea. I can't remember what to do. And I stretched, and I did things. I said, excuse me. I went over. I did a station break. I came back, stalled as much as I could. And then he says to me, in the event of a Conrad emergency, that was the emergency sure. system in those days, what would you do? And I looked at him, and I said, I'd shut it down and run like hell. <laughs> <laughs> he threw up his hands and walked out of the control room. I never saw him again. And I didn't have to take the reading. <laughs> Good for you. You never had to do the readings at all. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That was kind of a pain in the wazoo was to take those readings every half hour. Did you ever take one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh. because our transmitter was right directly behind where we sat at yeah. KDIC. You didn't fake it. No. It were the, the, meter, the meters and everything were right there. Mm. So I used to mess around. Uh, at night, I'd put on the long cuts and just do anything I wanted to do. Thank most God of the for time. El Paso, Marty <laughs> Robbins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stairway to Heaven came along. Oh, that, ah, was, that was perfect. That was... But one of my favorite things to do was just to switch the transmitters. At night, we were at 250. We were 1,250, 1,000 during the day after sunset 250, which barely covered the block. So I'd warm up the other little bitty transmitter that was in there, and they had this huge relay. That when you hit the relay button to switch over from the main transmitter to the auxiliary, it would make this huge groaning noise like that. And I would just mess with that, and I'd go back and forth between the transmitters. And I would go, oh, it doesn't sound as good on the auxiliary as it does on the main because we had the gates main. So 
anything that you could do to amuse yourself on the air. And there's a lot of stuff that went on in radio stations, believe me, uh, that oh. Don doesn't want to admit to, or yeah. me either. <laughs> Uh, but uh, those were some of the things that were just kind of fun to do. Just well, to you're, kind of... you're clearly in my territory here because yeah. uh, when I was uh, doing mornings at WQUA, uh, we, we signed off at midnight, and I came in and signed the station back on the air at 6 a.m., <laughs> and uh, you had to warm up the transmitter, mm-hmm. so I would turn it on at 5.45 a.m., sure and stand there and uh, wait till 6 o'clock came. And one day I thought, I wonder if anybody's ever listening when there's nothing on the air. So instead of just being quiet, uh, I got the national anthem ready to play, and I went over and cracked the mic and said, Help! Help! Let me out of here! Help! Then, da-da-da-da-da-da, hit the national anthem, you know, and away we went. Well, the phones went nuts, and about four years later, I am now off air and in sales, and I walked into some total stranger in in Milan, Illinois, Mm -hmm. and introduced myself, and he said, you SOB, you scared the hell out of my wife. She made made me get up and open every closet to see who was in it. (laughs) And on that note... (laughs) RadioWarStories.com. Thanks for listening. Don, thank you for that story. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Radio War Stories. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Like us on Facebook at Radio War Stories and call in with your questions or comments here or on Skype. Skype at RadioWarStories.com. We look forward to hearing from you. See you next week.